If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. Hey guys, this is Nicole Van Tassel, and I am, uh, you know, from iExplore Science, and I am here solo today to talk about supporting student exploration and really supporting your students as you are creating a student-centered day-to-day experience in your classroom. Before we begin, however, I want to take a quick second to invite you to check out the Spark subscription. We are open for enrollment now, and you can actually create a free account, Spark Light to access a small library of my resources um, and get a sampling of what you'd find in Spark. So basically it's, it's you know freebie lessons to grab and go, but of course if you like what you see and are looking for those phenomenon-based uh, three-dimensional anchor experiences, explorations and assessments, Spark might be right for you. But either way, create a free account, get a couple lessons you know for the next few weeks and, um, and just you know continue to be a part of my community. Um, okay, so. In this episode, I want to chat about supporting student exploration. So the thing about three-dimensional learning, which you, you know you probably are familiar, it is really risky, like authentic learning. And this is the type of learning where your students are actively engaged, that they are the ones that are participating in the learning process. It is inherently a risky business. It requires us to be truly vulnerable. It puts us in situations where we're at risk of failure. We're at risk of embarrassment or feeling embarrassment, I should say. We are at risk of maybe challenging what we think about ourselves. You know, if we think that we're good at science and now we have to figure the science stuff out, that's a challenge to it, right? Or, it, you know, for some students, it's even a risk. To, we're at risk of reinforcing maybe some of the negative things that we believe about ourselves you know, of, of just gathering more evidence for why we're, we're dumb or we're not good at math or we're bad with, I don't know, words or whatever. <laughs> so learning is risky. And that's why, you know, creating a safe space is so important. If you did not catch that brain science uh, episode, I will link that in the show notes. But there are other things we can do beyond creating a safe environment, beyond building relationships. Um, so other things that we can do to support our students in feeling safe during an exploration or feeling like they are able to truly engage in an exploration. So I want to share a couple strategies with you here. And these are things that you can use 
all together, like you could do all of these strategies all at once, or you could pick and choose, and you're gonna find that, you know, in some instances, you might need more of a support, and in some instances, you might need less of a support. One thing you will definitely find is the more that your students get familiar with exploration, figuring it out, three-dimensional learning, they're going to need less of these supports. So at first it might seem like, wow, I, I feel like I'm kind of giving a lot of weight to my students, or I feel like I'm maybe a little bit too involved, or these are too, there's too much supports here. The thing is, if your students are not engaging, they might need this support in order to get that engagement. And then once they start to feel confident, that's when they will seek out less, seek out these supports less often, and you won't, you won't need to provide those. So a couple of things to consider. All right, so the first one is simply leading the exploration. Now, I do not recommend doing a full group type of instruction for an exploration. I think that it's, it's, it's too much for students to be all in one group, you leading the exploration. It's, it ends up being a little bit too teacher driven, I guess. But if you can break your students into small groups where you are leading just three or four or five of them through an exploration and they're having this chance to talk out their ideas with you and you're just there along the way asking those guiding questions, um, maybe pushing back on some of their answers, that is a, it's a very hands-on or like maybe teacher heavy way of, of moving students through an exploration, but it might be what your students need, especially for the more difficult um, activities. So for example, I have a lesson where students were graphing seismic waves to basically figure out like the structure of the earth. So they were looking for clues in the seismic wave data. Now my students struggled with graphing and I knew that itself was gonna be a huge barrier. It was something I was gonna need to guide them through. Like literally I'm gonna need to guide them through creating the, the graph itself, the axis, the labels, making sure that all of the intervals are the same, like all of that stuff, right? And again, I did not want to do this where I'm trying to battle and help 25, 30 students create this all at once. It's like, no, um, pass on that. So what I did was I gave, I split my group, my class into groups and the majority of these students were doing, I think I divided into three groups. So two of the three groups were working on like some other um, more independent work type of tasks. Maybe it was, voca I don't even remember at this point, but maybe it was like vocabulary. Maybe it was a different exploration, but they were, it was easier to understand or easier to move through. And they were just working at, on those tasks on their own. And I was working with one group moving through this exploration. So creating the graph, going through the graphing, moving through the questions, talking about what do we see? Like, what do I see? What does this mean? Um, and figuring out what it was telling us about Earth's, layers and earth structure. So this is an example of guiding and exploration. I was there with that small group of students. I was helping them through it. I was right with there with them as they got stuck. But the goal is that they're still the ones like responding to the questions. They're still the ones sharing their ideas. They're the ones telling me what they see um, and drawing conclusions about what it means. They just weren't doing it like alone. I was literally right there kind of holding their hands. And it gave them the confidence because they were still the ones that were figuring it out, but I was just right there with them, right? Okay, so that's one, um, that's one way. Um, another approach is a little bit less of you, and this is where you are using kind of a, a worksheet or an organizer to guide students through an exploration. So again, it's very much like kind of scripted in a sense where it's, 
it's walking students through it. Very, very much hand-holding, but instead of you being the one doing it, it's like the worksheet, the words on the page doing it. And actually, this idea came, and my, I was thinking about this, my really first real understanding of explorations came through using POGLES. I can't even remember what it stands for now. Um, inquiry learning, something like that. P-O-G-I-L, POGLE. And they had them for like high school biology, high school chemistry, um, I can't remember what else, maybe other things. But basically, it is, you know, students are given something to analyze. So maybe it's a diagram, maybe it's data. And then there are questions that guide the students through that. And the questions target the same types of conversations that you would have with your students in class, but it's written format. So they ask students to make specific observations. They ask students to identify maybe certain parts on, parts on the graph to, to help them identify or, or, again, make those observations. And then they start asking questions ask to help students connect those observations and to make meaning from those observations. So anytime I'm making an exploration, I guess, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of have that Pogol um, approach in mind where I'm, I'm thinking about what do I, I need my students to see? What do I need them to connect? What conclusions do I need them to draw? And what questions can I ask to help them draw those um, those conclusions? Now, eventually, we can take some of those supports away. We can have less questions, less structure, um, maybe less um, like um, graphic or like uh, maybe it's more of a graphic organizer versus a series of questions. But initially, that type of scaffolded like inquiry where we're, we're again, we're guiding our students through the observations, through the connections, through the conclusions, it keeps your students moving forward. And then your job can then be to like kind of mingle around the room and, and help students when they get stuck at those different, you know, stages. Um, and the, the thing is the students are still making the connections on their own. They're still making the observations on their own. They're still uh, coming to their own conclusions, but you're guiding it through the questioning. And you can have your students do that on like a worksheet during their exploration. And again, it, it just keeps them moving. It gives them that sense of success so that they are more inclined to, it gives them the guidance of like, what's the next step forward, right? Okay, another strategy, um, and these are not really in a particular order of like more or less scaffolding or whatever. I just kind of brain dumped. Um, but these are support stations. And I learned about this during my time in North Carolina. And I can't remember, it was in a math class I was observing. And they had these awesome support stations, which were basically like answer keys that were um, scattered around the room. Although I have also done this where I had an answer key in a folder at tables when I didn't really want my students walking around the room. <laughs> um, but the rule was uh, the that students could only check the answer key um, like after they had attempted an answer on their own. They also had to leave their, they had to leave their original answer. So I had to be able to see what their initial ideas were. And then they could look at that answer and in a different color pencil, they could then revise or improve or correct their original answer. So I wanted to always see what the original was but they could then, you know, use maybe the hint. It could either be a fully answer key. It could be hints, whatever. They could use those to help improve their initial answer. Um, and now this is something that uh, if you do it with, like, going to stations, I've seen where teachers um, 
made a rule like you couldn't bring your paper up so you could go read the answer but then you had to come back and you know summarize it in your own words put in your own words whatever it was uh, when I used it at the table obviously the papers were in front of them but they had a couple minutes to open the the folder review the answers they were in groups talk about the answers and then um, close the folder and revise their initial answers um, so that was another support station and again, the goal is that they are, they're first attempting it on their own, but they also have this safety net. So they have a little bit of confidence, like before I have to turn this in or before I have to go and meet with my, like the whole class and discuss what I learned or <coughs> excuse me, whatever it, it, it is there, they have a chance to kind of make sure that they're coming in with the right idea um, and creating that safety net, creating that like sense of control that this is what I think it is, but I can also kind of go and double check to make sure I'm on the right track makes people feel better. And it gives them that confidence to engage and to try something because again, they have that fallback plan. And I, I, like, honestly, I think I used the, these for like the first week or two of class and then I just stopped doing it and nobody noticed and everybody continued trying because they learned that it doesn't really matter if I have the right or wrong answer at this second, we're going to come back together as a class and we're going to talk about our ideas and we're going to make sure we're all on the same page and we all figure it out and it's going to be fine. But initially to get my students to like write down an answer or to give it a try, having the safety net was really helpful. Finally, my last um, idea for you is this idea of hedging language. And I don't know where I came up with this or like how I, I stumbled across this. I know I didn't make up the term hedging language. But what I found was asking students questions with hard, I don't know, like hard language. Like what is the connection between? It's like saying, okay, so there's a right answer here and you have to give me the right answer and it's all on you. And that's, again, it's scary, right? But if I say things like, what could be the connection between? It's kind of opening the door to, there could be lots of connections, or maybe there's more than one connection, or maybe it doesn't even matter if this is the right, like a right connection or not. We're just kind of throwing out ideas here. And that can be really helpful. And again, just helping students um, like they're not committed to it. Like this is may this might be the answer. I'm not really totally committed to it, but I don't have to be totally committed to it because they just ask for like what could be, what might be, what do you think? So that's hedging language, and I found that really helpful both during discussion and during you know like um, the type of guided written explorations or if I'm having a, a discussion with students during an exploration. Um, but again, even during meaning making kind of chats after an exploration. And then um, I guess I do have one more. It's kind of builds on this hedging language. Uh, but this one I, again, learned when I was um, down in North Carolina. And it was the, like, what did you hear? What did others say? Um, so sometimes we are kind of hesitant to, to share our ideas because, again, we don't want to be wrong. But we don't mind sharing, like, what we heard the, our neighbors say, right? Because who cares if they're wrong? Like, <laughs> it's not on you. You don't have to be embarrassed. So using language like that in a question, like, during your table discussion, what did you what what ideas came up, or what did you hear others say? What did you hear your classmates say? What ideas did your group have? And it, again, it takes the pressure off the individual student to be right or wrong, or to um, yeah, to be right or wrong really, uh, or to like risk that failure. Like it doesn't matter because it's not it's not their identity that's tied up with that answer. It's like the group's identity, or the classes, or their classmates, or whoever's. So that's another um, type of kind of maybe hedging. I would put that maybe in the hedging language category. 
But again, so those are like some of the tips I have for you. This was a pretty quick episode, but I, the, the goal is that we really want our students to start feeling successful and to truly engage in, their, in, in learning. So much of our education system has been teachers teach and students sit there and passively like take it in and hopefully they can take it in enough that they can spit it back. But that's not real learning. That's not developing skills. It's not even developing like knowledge or understanding necessarily. It's, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a passive form of, I don't know, I don't even want to call it learning. The reality is we need our students to be actively engaged. We need them to not only like do the work, but but be minds-on engaged. So it's not just moving through the motions, completing the questions, answering. We want them to, at least I I want them, to really want to figure it out, to really want to understand. Because that's when like the deeper conceptual, long-lasting retention and understanding comes into play. And that's when they're developing their critical thinking skills, their creative thinking skills, their problem solving, their persistence, all of that. It requires our students to be active in class and engaged in class and a deep type of intellectual engagement. And that type of learning, again, and that type of um, action from our students can be really foreign. It can feel uncomfortable. It might be different than anything they have experienced before. And doing new things is scary, no matter whether you are a 13-year-old, probably more scary as a 13-year-old because you also are terrified of all of your classmates and what they think of you. But even as adults, because I get scared of what all of you think of me pretty regularly. Um, So, (laughs) confession there. But... But we need to, but we can help our students kind of overcome their fears and put themselves out there and as learners and as thinkers um, by creating some of these like safety nets and giving them a chance to, to feel that confidence because the more they do it, the more confident they become in their own abilities, in their ideas, and even the more comfortable they become with like when they are wrong, it is no big deal. And, and, and you can get like a level of comfort with that, with making mistakes and saying silly things and and sometimes embarrassing yourself. Um, so these are some strategies that are just designed to help our students, uh, get more comfortable with that and get more confident so that they, you know, eventually need less of these supports, but, but it helps them, you know, become the active learners that we really need them to be. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it was helpful. Please reach out on Instagram, on Facebook. Join Sparklight subscription. We also have a private community because I admit I'm not like a huge fan of Facebook these days. Um, it, it just overwhelms me. Nothing wrong with Facebook. I just It's just a lot of notifications. Um, and anyway, side note, but there is a private community inside of the Sparklight subscription. So whether you pay or not, you can still be a part of this private community. Uh, but I hope you will check it out and let me know what you think about this episode. I will talk to you later. Have a good one. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons.
Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner.